edition of the Global Revolution. As always, we are the coolest guys around because we're here to bring to you all of the wrestling which may be falling under your radar. We're trying something a little different this week, uh, possibly this year. We want to talk a little more in-depth about certain promotions and uh, want to talk about whole shows instead of just cherry-picking matches. So to start off that new uh, strategy, we're going to be talking about a couple of WXW shows from uh, just the start of this year. Uh, airing on January 4th, we've got uh, Road to Back to the Roots, and then Back to the Roots itself on January 19th. So we're going to be going over all of that, and uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. We're going to bring it all to you, and I do, of course, say we, because I could not, would not, should not do this by myself. I am joined by a lovely, wonderful man. He's my friend, and he should be yours. He is called Jeff. Jeff, say hello. Hello, everybody out there in podcast and internet land. Jeff here, Miz fan there. I hope everybody's staying uh, bundled up and warm. It is uh, cold across the United States. So if you're in the U.S. like the two of us, hopefully you are staying warm on this uh, late January day when you're hopefully listening to this. But uh, yes, as Miz fan said, this year we're trying to uh, kind of shift our focus just a little bit. We will be, of course, uh, doing the global revolution thing of uh, finding matches and promotions to check out every so often. But uh, this year we're kind of trying to uh, sort of laser focus a little bit more on certain promotions, things like WXW, probably Dragon Gate. Uh, we already do Chikara, that basic uh, sort of way where we find stuff that we like and we try to give it as uh, much viewing as we can. And we're going to sort of give that a test run here with uh, some, as Ms. Fan said, WXW stuff. Um, we've got a, a Road to Back to the Roots show, which I think, uh, I don't know if you uh, picked up on this, it really seems like that's what they're going to be going with to replace Shotgun, mm-hmm. essentially. You know, smaller shows yeah. uh, with a lot of uh, promos and segments throughout the back. Um, and then they lead up into their big show, this time Back to the Roots. Two cage matches, Rise versus Rise and Ilya Dragunov versus Absolute Andy for the WXW Unified World Wrestling Championship. We're going to be talking about all of that here, right here, on this edition of the Global Revolution. And I, for one, super psyched. I thought these were a couple of really grand, fun shows that uh, WXW put on. So let's get to talking about them. Let's do it. Let's jump right in. Uh, as you said, definitely seems like uh, maybe they're going to be doing a little more of these Road 2 shows in terms of promos, all that stuff. Um, yeah, I think, uh, it's, uh, I, well, I don't know. I kind of miss Shotgun a little bit, but, uh, we'll see how these go. Mm-hmm. Uh, speaking of great promos, we have a great one right towards the beginning of this first show, Road 2, Back to the Roots. We have Absolute Andy, and, uh, <laughs> I gotta say, like, one great thing, I think, about focusing in on WXW a little more is I'm sure there were a lot of uh, promos and segments that we were missing out on when we were just kind of cherry-picking matches. So here we have Absolute Andy um, talking about how amazing it is at the old age of only 27, he can still do all the amazing moves that he does. And he tells us he got a call over the weekend from Odin and from Zeus to confirm he is also a guide, just like them. And uh, this this was wonderful, I thought. He I had a dinner on was. Mount Olympus, <laughs> I heard him say. Uh, this was a... I, I really enjoy Absolute Andy on the microphone. He's just, he's so energetic, he's so enthusiastic, and he's such a, for lack of a better term, he's such a good bullshit artist. Just like, <laughs> he talks about things, the way he talks about them are just so 
over the top and ridiculous and he just sells them really well. He's got this like wonderful smile that on anybody else would just seem sincere and nice and, and you know, just, just warm and happy. And on him, you're just like, you know, he's trying to like smile at you so he can pick your pocket or steal something from you. It's just, it's, it's great. I love Andy. He's so good. This was a very fun, uh, fun way to start off the show here with uh, Andy cutting a uh, a godly promo, as it were. Indeed, yes. Uh, Absolutely, Andy. Definitely becoming one of my favorite promo guys, uh, without a doubt. Uh, before we get to our first match, we also see another segment backstage. We have uh, Emil Satoshi sitting around with Avalanche. And Emil Satoshi, turns out, is very depressed about his life. He sees uh, everybody is out getting signed, everyone's uh, getting more famous, getting more successful. He's just stuck in the same place. He doesn't want to be part of this weird uh, monster consulting replacement team anymore. He doesn't want to be Avalanche's partner anymore. He bails out, and Avalanche is left by himself. So, uh, yeah, I, I wasn't super invested in the monster consulting replacement team myself, so I get where uh, Satoshi is coming from. I thought this was solid, and uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm interested to see what happens. Yeah, this was, uh, on one hand, uh, Emil Satoshi really sells being depressed very well, because that's pretty much exactly what it feels like. He's just sullen and, like, deadpan, so it was good on him. I didn't quite know he uh, had that sort of range, but um, yeah, um, I was, I don't know, I'm not... Like, I like Avalanche, I like Emil Satoshi, and I like Monster Consulting. Like, I like all three of these individual things, but wasn't exactly like, you know, wasn't calling for Emil Satoshi to replace uh, Julian Nero, like, full-time. So this is, um, I think this will be pretty good. I like Avalanche as a singles dude. Um, he's been, uh, I think, having uh, some pretty solid bouts here and there when we've seen him as a tag team or as an individual guy. So I think this is probably going to be Better for him. Um, I don't know where uh, Emil Satoshi goes from here, what his uh, WXW plans are, if this is going to be the start of a potential heel turn for him. Um, I don't know. So it's going to be interesting to see where both men go from here. Absolutely so. We know exactly where Avalanche is going from here. He's going right out to a match meant to be against Yearn Simmons, but Yearn is there. He says that he is sick. Uh... (laughs) So he uh, he brings out Alan Payne as a replacement, who is uh, Kellyanne's Natural Born Killers uh, friend from Australia. I believe they both are. Yuri uh, Simmons knights Alan Payne with the microphone, which was a wonderful little touch that uh, I did not miss. And Yuri, um, the match doesn't start. He keeps talking and he's coughing, and the crowd is chanting, "Please don't die!" at him, which is just. <laughs> Amazing. I love that. Fantastic. Uh, and he says, it's a very serious issue, so please don't make fun of it. Um, great. <laughs> no, I, I'm, I'm a huge, I've become a huge Yaron Simmons fan as well. Um, so Avalanche says, uh, really, he'll fight both of them. He'll fight anyone. He doesn't really care, which leads him to being ambushed by Alexander James, Yaron Simmons' partner in the crown. And uh, apparently now it's a handicap match, but I, I'm sure you want to say something uh, about all this, so I'll let you jump in right here. Uh, just uh, once again, Yern Simmons proving uh, just just how wonderful a treat of a human being he is. I'm so glad he's you know he's come back from injury. He's been killing it as this heel. I love just everything 
about this. This is uh, this is some of the stuff we kind of miss when we're not uh, watching shows all the way through. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when we're kind of like, okay, we're not going to really check out this match. Maybe it doesn't have um, people we're super invested in, or it's like, yeah, this doesn't seem like. You know, if we had just heard there was a handicap match, Avalanche versus Alan Page and Alexander James. We're probably not, you know, watching that on uh, the Global Revolution in the past. This is like, okay, that might be cute. Maybe if we go back and watch a show, maybe we'll check that out. Um, so I'm glad with our sort of new extended focus on uh, certain companies that we managed to watch this because this was fantastic. I really enjoyed this. Uh, Yern Simmons certainly knows how to carry himself. Um, Alan Payne is a wild man. I don't really know how else to describe him. Just even in this promo, just – Shirtless look, um, wild, beady, bug eyes, just creepy dude. And Avalanche, you know, he comes in and he's just, he's sort of above all of it. It's like, please stop talking. Let me kick some ass. And I don't know, this was just a lot of fun. Really just the highlight, though. Yaron Simmons just killing it on the microphone. So good. So good. It won't be the last time we hear from him uh, on this set. He talks uh, quite a few more times, actually. So, yeah, looking forward to that later in the show. Indeed so. Um, loved all the talking here. I thought, I didn't know quite how I felt about uh, some of the actual wrestling here. At first, it was Avalanche taking on Alan Payne and Alexander James. Um, and uh, it wasn't bad, but uh, Alexander, I, I, I don't know. I'm not the hugest Alexander James fan, as I've talked about, and Alan Payne. Uh, you know, I kind of like what he's doing, but he, he definitely seems like a lower tier guy. Still, though. Uh, two-on-one handicap match, and this is always the problem with handicap matches. Uh, Avalanche wins this match, and not really, it wasn't really that hard for him either, so then I don't know how I take Alan Payne or Alexander James particularly seriously at any point uh, in the future, so that's that's a little bit of a problem, I think. Yeah, it's always the sort of, the downfall and the, uh, um, just sort of the issue with handicap matches in general. Anytime you have that sort of man advantage, you should be able to uh, take, you know, advantage of that. You should right. be able to constantly interfere, constantly tag in and out, wear this person down to your face. It doesn't really matter who they are, I think, most of the time. Um, I did actually enjoy the finish to this match, specifically Avalanche. Just, I think he picked up Alan Payne and launched him Beal Throw style into. Uh, Alexander James, who, you know, rolled out to the floor and then crushed Alan Payne and pinned him. So that that part of that was actually like, okay, that's cool. That makes sense. He literally just launched a dude at another dude to knock him out of the ring and then finished him off. Like, that's a, it's a good, uh, you know, situation, I think, for Avalanche to take advantage of himself and pick up a victory. But still, it's just, I, I get Avalanche, big dude, monster of a man, um, definitely befits that, you know, was, I thought... The uh, sort of highlight of this match in general, uh, when he actually got to put on some offense and wasn't getting stopped down, but just just still, you know, like, you have two guys, one of them being, you know, in a fairly important tag team in the crown, and the other, you know, being potentially somebody you want to spotlight in uh, Alan Payne, I don't know, just, just, just getting beaten a two-on-one doesn't exactly do a whole lot for them. But, you know who this entire situation does do wonders for Yern Simmons. Cause apparently this match healed his cough, healed his sickness. <laughs> uh, Cause he ran in and he beat down on a, uh, avalanche a little bit more. And he said, Oh, you know what? I went to the back 
And, you know, suddenly I was feeling better and the doctors cleared me. I'm ready to compete. You know what? I think I'll I think I'll take that singles match now. I think I will take that singles match with you, Avalanche, right here and right now. So he's all dressed ready to go. Avalanche eventually stands up, ref rings the bell, and we get a condensed singles match between Yarn Simmons and Avalanche, which uh Yarn Simmons picks up very uh quickly the victory after a Alexander James distraction pins Avalanche to defeat him one, two, three. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, this was, at least on the whole, a really solid way to sort of further the rivalry between uh, Yern Simmons and Avalanche. And I thought, on the whole, from beginning to end, I thought this worked really well. The handicap match itself, not particularly, not something I'm going to be, like, writing home about, but I think the progression from, oh, I'm sick, you know, I got to stay stay out here, Avalanche, you know, eggs them on, I'll take on whoever you got, into a handicap match, into... Aaron Simmons coming back, feeling better, beating him down, and picking up the uh, victory in the second match. I thought all of that, you know, told a very good story from beginning to end. Just the actual handicap match that occurred was, it was a handicap match, basically. So, overall good, but just that section, not not so much. See, I actually wasn't too fond of the Aaron uh, Avalanche match either. I like the idea of it, but... When the match started, even though Avalanche had just gotten beat up by three guys, he still, like, after really just, uh, like, 30 seconds or so, was in control again and was really just effortlessly dominating the match. And I'm like, okay, like you said, I like Avalanche, you know, he's a, he's a solid guy. Uh, you know, WXW portrays him as being, like, really dangerous, and that, that's fine, but it was just, uh, it was, it was too much for me, I think. Like, uh, it was to the point where Avalanche, I don't know why he would need Julian Nero or uh, Emil Satoshi or anybody. He can apparently... Or like, Olive Rise or Ring Camp or anyone. Right, right. right. Like, the Avalanche versus the world, you know? He could take down uh, anything against him. Um, like you said, despite having every advantage on God's green earth, your instrument still needed an outside distraction to get the win because he was getting his ass handed to him by a guy who really should have been barely standing, I thought, by by the logic of what we saw. So uh, I kind of like the idea of it, but yeah, I don't know. Some of the execution was shaky to me. Yeah, I was, I was more fine with it. It was all, for me at least, it was just all in the name of, like, entertainment of really sold the urn being this, you know trying to take advantage of situations, sometimes getting, you know, a bit too big for his britches, but, you know, still managing to find ways, whether through himself or through Alexander James, to uh, pick up the victory when when necessary. So for me, it was fine, but I can definitely see where you would have had issues with it because, yeah, once again, just getting beaten down by three dudes and then immediately pops back up to start doing... Uh, uncontested offense is, you know, not exactly the best look, but then I think one massive uh, sick kick boot from Yaron Simmons put him down again after the distraction. So, a mixed bag, but I had a fun time with it. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, after this, we go backstage again. Uh, we see Melanie Gray yelling at some people and busting in on Tony Storm and just beating the piss out of her. I love Melanie Gray, so I'm all right with that. Yes. Uh, one of the people she was yelling out, uh, Jillian Pace, just sort of oh, uh, chilling yeah. out with some yeah. uh, some people backstage. Melanie Gray apparently took some sort of exception to him. 
said he had a stupid haircut and some other things before <laughs> yelling about trying to find Tony Storm. They basically don't know where she is. These uh, Julian Pace and his two friends, I guess, hanging out backstage. Storms into her locker room, beats the crap out of her, punches her in the head a bunch of times. They finally come break it up. Melanie is yelling, saying that there's not enough room for both of them. You know, only one. There should be only one before being dragged off into the back. So, uh, yeah, Melody Gray, I love her as a character. I love her as a performer. This was a lot of fun. Um, I also just like that it sort of sets up that sometimes they're just at the building at WXW and just people are just hanging out and then things happen. I don't, I, I don't know, just the concept of here's Julian Pace and two uh, worker buddies of his just sort of chilling out and then suddenly Melanie Gray shows up to start an angle and you're just like, all right, uh, roll film, I guess. Um, I don't know what's going on here, but just do it. I don't know. That just that just seemed fun to me. Yeah, it works for me. Uh, I really love Melanie. I'm glad you mentioned she took the time to run down Julian Pace because uh, that's really one of the things I love about her. She's always on. She'll always, like, throw something in. Um, you know, it's never just like, I'm Melanie Gray and I have to fight with Tony Storm. It's like, no, I'm in this moment. I am this person. I'm, uh, you know, interacting with uh, everything around me. Yeah, I love Melanie Gray. She's she's one of the, the best. The sensational, uh, sinister fairy godmother. Yeah. Great yeah. nickname, great character. Love Melanie Gray. Loved her uh, setting up her eventual future match with uh, Tony Storm here. Indeed, indeed. Um, we uh, we have another backstage segment. Uh, apparently, you speaks English and is adorable, uh, especially since she's an actual murderer. I think it's a nice balance. Um, so uh, she does a bit of a promo. Killer Kelly is not impressed by you, uh, but everyone should be. So uh, we have a bit of an issue between them, perhaps, and uh, we're going to see their match shortly. So uh, I'm cool with that. Yes, indeed. I, I, I was kind of put off by uh, Killer Kelly's uh, character here. Normally, Kelly, as we've seen her, is typically, you know, a little bit more upbeat, a little bit more positive. You know, someone who, you know, might see a fight as like an actual like, oh, boy, you know, a challenge. I can do something about this. This will be, you know, a cool match to have. And since she was kind of dismissive of you here, like, yeah, great, you beat a alpha female, which didn't beat me. And he was like, all right, so I'll just beat your ass, too. And it'll be fine. So this was and yes, you was very adorable. Um and could also, like, rip my arms out of the socket. So I don't want to say too much that might uh, either make her feel like I'm taking her lightly because you is fantastic. I've enjoyed uh, the stuff we've seen from her in uh, WXW, including this uh, next match we'll be talking about shortly and the one match we saw from uh, Tokyo Joshi Pro. Definitely somebody I am looking forward to seeing more of in 2019 and you. Mm -hmm. Yes, very much so. Uh, but before we get to that match, we have uh, Yearn backstage with Alexander James. Uh, Yearn points out that he beat Avalanche, uh, whereas Alexander James has failed to do so repeatedly because he is a failure, after all, as we all know. Um, Alexander James complains that he had to team with Alan Payne, whom he had never met before, which I thought was funny. Um, they uh, they argue back and forth a bit. Uh, Alexander James accuses Yearn of loving to hear himself talk, which uh, Yearn agrees with. He says uh, the sound of his voice is wonderful. Um, Alexander James decides he's going to go back to America for a while and leave Yearn all alone. Uh, Yearn doesn't seem worried at all, and neither am I. Goodbye, Alexander James. Have fun. Uh, you know, if you don't come back, I'm not going to cry about it. Uh, sorry if that's harsh, but that's where I'm at. Uh, well, 
I, 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 as we probably know here on the show, I like Alexander James not a whole lot more, but a little bit more than um, his fan does. I tend to at least appreciate okay, Alexander but James. Surely you can admit that Yearn Simmons is so good that he really. This you is know, true. Alexander James should be a lackey, not a partner. Okay, this if he is... has to stick around, that should be the dynamic. This is true. Uh, Yaron Simmons really does not need uh, anybody else. If they wanted to give him somebody else, that'd be fine. But he doesn't really need anybody. He's so good on his own, both as a talker and a worker, that he, does, he just doesn't really need uh, somebody potentially bringing him down or piggybacking off of him in any way. So... Uh, this this uh, revelation is uh, mostly fine for me. I'm not going to be too broken up by uh, the crown maybe not being a thing in its current formation. Uh, I do like how this was a good uh, just a good little way to be like, up oh, Alexander James, either his tour is over or he's got to go back to America to relax a bit. So we'll figure out a way to send him off and it'll just be, oh, yeah, you just basically got fired from the crown. So that's fine. That, that, that works well. Uh, once again, want to see where uh, – uh, Yearn Simmons goes from here. Um, we do know, uh, well, we might as well talk about it now since we're here. A little bit later, he's talking to somebody on the phone. Uh, basically going, yeah, Alexander James, you know, left. He's going back to the States. I don't know what's going on. When Avalanche bursts in to this locker room that uh, Yearn is in, and basically yells at him some more and says that they're not over and that they're going to have a match at Back to the Roots. And then leaves. That's... <laughs> That's what Avalanche did. He broke into Yearn Simmons' locker room, yelled at him, and said, we're going to have a match, and then left. And that was the end. So, yeah, match it back to the roots between uh, Alexander James, or not, uh, and certainly not Alexander James, uh, Yearn Simmons and Avalanche. Indeed, that goes down a little bit later in the show, but uh, that is absolutely what went down. So we are going to see that. We're going to talk about it on the same show, but just a little bit later. Right now, we have a match that has already been set up. It is you taking on Killer Kelly. Um, and I, I don't know about you, I thought this was a pretty great match here. Um, I really love Kelly uh, applying that cravat, and uh, not just applying it, but holding on to it um, through many attempts to dislodger, including through a power slam, which I thought was especially awesome. I love oh, that people, was a killer spot, yes. Oh, I loved it, I loved it. I love when people hold on to stuff uh, through offensive moves. Um, that's, just good, that's just good technique right there. Um, yeah, both these wounds are, are very good, and uh, I, I like this match a lot. I, I liked it quite a bit. Yes, indeed. It's just, I, I like Killer Kelly. I think she's a very uh, good talent and definitely a growing talent, getting better uh, uh, consist- consistently, I feel. And uh, you is very much the same way, sort of a clash of styles, but also like similar motivations and attitude, you know, very uh, forthright uh, kind of potentially brutal, potentially mean, um, just sort of hard-headed uh, wrestlers going at it here, and they really sort of they just put it all on the line here, and I thought they did a really good job. Uh, you in particular uh, impressed me a whole lot, but yeah, that Killer Kelly segment where she's just maintaining the cravat through a whole lot of offense was uh, was fantastic, and I, I really think this was a... Uh, not that the triple threat match was bad between the two of them and Alpha Female, but I think this was a much uh, better showcase for the women involved in this match uh, for what they could do. So for that reason, I was happy that this match turned out the way it did. Really, really good. Absolutely so. A little more backstage development after this. Tony Storm responding to the earlier attack, challenges Melody Gray to a loser leaves town match at Back to the Roots. And at this point... um, 
I know that you you kind of from the start were not that big on Tony Storm. I definitely was liking her at one point. Uh, I don't know. She hasn't consistently impressed me since then. So at this point, I would be fine if she uh, left town, maybe just pursued uh, her work in the WWE, which is seemingly going very well. Um, and, you know, more power to her there. And that, that'll be great. The Tony Storm fans can watch her over there. And maybe I won't have to so much anymore. So. Indeed. And we'll talk about that a little bit later because that's happening at Back to the Roots, the show proper. Uh, which is really a loaded show by the time we get to it, I think. So we'll definitely talk about so. that yeah. when we get there. Good stuff. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, we get a bit more uh, development as well. We see some words from Exit Leader Jr. back after the uh, 18th anniversary show at the end of last year. Um, really enjoyed how he was clearly very, very happy to be back in WXW, back to be working ring comp uh, for for the night, uh, and he just seemed uh, extra happy to be there. That was great. Uh, also, praises Mike Mueller, who was in the corner of Ring Comp for that main event. Uh, and he even says he'll pass the torch to him, uh, interestingly. So that, uh, yeah, I don't know. Mike Mueller, possible new member of Ring Comp. Uh, they've definitely teased it a few times here. So, uh, yeah, that'll be interesting. I, I, if I remember correctly apparently he knows Vite Mueller and has for quite a few years i think called him the hamburg boys yep, the two yep, of them together so which yep. was um not something i was actually aware of so that's a cool little just tidbit to figure out while watching a wxw and yeah just it was nice to see ring camp all back together certainly nice to see axel dieter jr doing something just in general and you know you just sort of feel the energy and the positivity and the happiness just emanating off of him during this uh little promo here so yeah good good to hear from uh the i don't know is he the leader of ring conf just the uh the man in a ring conf axel dude jr just 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 good to see and hear from him again so yeah fun stuff Absolutely so. Speaking of ring comp, we do get a tag team match next. Walter and Timothy Thatcher teaming up against the Arrows of Hungary. And I gotta say, this right here, this is why I watch WXW, so I can see matches like this. Uh, I love the Arrows of Hungary. I've talked about a lot. They have so much talent, so much potential in this match. Uh, they looked awesome. Dover actually slams Walter at one point, which is uh, fantastic. Um, they really almost get the win here pretty amazingly, and I almost wonder if maybe they should have gotten the win because they are just so special, and I really don't think you can uh, go too far with pushing these guys in a tag team division. I think they'd be great permanent additions to WXW. Um, Absolutely, and they, they didn't look at all like, you know, like ill-fitting members in there against um, against Ring Comp. Uh, Timothy Thatcher and Walter, very impressive and intimidating specimens in the ring. And honestly, Dover and Icarus look like they just fit right in. We're just as willing to give back what they were getting, and it was great. And it's what to me what really just made this match just as awesome as it was. You know, it wasn't. Um, not that, that any of these other things are like bad or anything, but it was like JFK trying to take pot shots and get their licks in while they could. It wasn't, you know, Rise taking sneaky uh, backhanded stuff. I should say the new Rise basically taking sneaky backhanded stuff. It wasn't um, – it was really just two tough physical teams being tough and physical against one another. I thought Dover and Icarus, the Arrows of Hungary, looked fantastic all the way through. They were in there, 
Timothy Thatcher and Walter, who are just two of the best wrestlers in the world today, two of the smartest wrestlers in the world today, and they managed to just put it off, put it all together just enough, just long enough pick up the victory against very game challengers in the arrows. So this was a fun match, a uh, just a great time. I love both of these teams, and what they put on here was, I thought, phenomenal. Uh, absolutely so. It's one of my favorite matches, uh, really, of the year so far. You know, it's very early days, of course, but yeah, I thought this was uh, really just top-notch. I thought they put on a fantastic contest. And uh, I encourage everyone to go check it out if you possibly have WXW now uh, or think of subscribing. It's a great match to watch. Mm-hmm. Um, I uh, I forget if we mentioned, but yes, Ringkampf does pick up the win, but it's really a narrow thing. So uh, I really hope we see more of the arrows in uh, in WXW. I think they are a great fit there. Especially against Ring Comp, because they just do... Well, against I anyone, really... honestly, I think. True, true. JFK... Either uh, Rise Groups, uh, Monster Consulting, if it ever comes back at full strength. You know, there's just there's a lot of good possibilities for the Arrows in a WXW. So that should be good. And also, interestingly, if I remember correctly, uh, Timothy Thatcher actually picks up the victory here for Ring Comp. They've been giving him a lot of wins recently, which I think is a, uh, I think is a good thing. I'm a big fan of uh, Tim, especially in WXW. And I do find it a very just... Just something interesting to keep an eye on, the fact that he has uh, won basically a lot of matches either for Ringkopf or on his own. Been the guy picking up the pinfalls everywhere. So yeah, yeah, he might Walter be having even, I believe. Uh, yes. He's probably year. on the uh, probably on the way to having a really good twenty nineteen. His twenty eighteen was really good, uh, but his twenty nineteen might be even better than that. So we'll have to see. Indeed, absolutely so. Um, Following this up, uh, speaking of Timothy Thatcher, we have him backstage. He's uh, demonstrating some holds on Veit Mueller, which uh, I think is a nice little character thing for him to be doing. It's certainly what I imagine Timothy Thatcher doing in all of his spare time. Um, Especially the fact that he was, he wasn't just like demonstrating by like, hey, look at the way I hold my hands. He was just locking in a hammer lock <laughs> on Veit Mueller. Like, yeah, you do it like this, and then you bend it this way, and you focus your uh, efforts on here, because that really hurts. It's like, yeah, that's exactly how Timothy Thatcher would do it. Of course it is. Indeed, indeed. Um, he uh, mentions that if uh, Veit Mueller should ever wrestle David Starr, it's uh, good to target his shoulder because it's been injured. And uh, David Starr is right there. And uh, David Starr says, Tim, you knew I'm right here. What's your problem with me? You're always doing stuff like this. Uh, you know, you have some sort of problem. And Thatcher points out, well, you know, you have all this history with Rinkoff. You know, we fought all these times. Yeah, of course, I have a little bit of a problem with you. Uh, and even mentions David Starr. Not getting a title match against Absolute Andy as uh, expected at the 18th anniversary show due to that injury. Um, things get a little heated between them. They decide they're just going to go ahead and have a match and back to the roots. And uh, I think that's uh, going to be very good. We're going to talk about it, of course. But as soon as I heard about it, I was happy about it. Uh, it's my favorite over-the-top wrestling match of last year, actually. Uh, we saw it there. We're going to see it again. And, uh, yeah, there's really nowhere I like David Starr more than uh, in a role like this. So uh, definitely looking forward to talking about that one. Oh, yeah, for sure, because I definitely want to, once again, once we get to that match, harp on how much, I don't necessarily know how much better, but just how natural and perfect uh, David Starr is in his role as a uh, WXW 
underdog babyface, but that'll be more when we get there. I did just kind of like the fact that, you know, they had a show it was coming up. Um, they sort of put together just a sort of a quick little understandable uh, feud between two guys. Not even really a feud, just a backstage spat. And we're like, yeah, we're going to settle our issues at Back to the Roots. We have a big marquee show for a big marquee match. Here's a reason for that match to happen. And there we go. That's how it's going to go down. And I thought that was just, you know, really just just a small thing, but really well put together. And it's going to lead to Timothy Thatcher versus David Starr, which, you know, can't really have any complaints about. So good, good, good working on uh, WXW and everybody involved here. Uh, fun little segment. Uh, could really feel the intensity from both guys. Uh, once again, just really liked Timothy Thatcher teaching uh, his buddy Vite Muller, um, specifically by locking him in a hammerlock to go, yeah, you, you leverage on this and you snap the guy's shoulder like he wasn't exactly going to do that to Vite Muller himself. But uh, that's neither here nor there. Fun segment leads to what is eventually going to be a fun match to talk about a little bit later. Indeed, absolutely so. Uh, so, yeah, we will keep moving along. We have, after this, a match, a uh, rematch of something we saw at the 18th anniversary. It is Bobby Guns once again taking on Shigehiro Irie. Um, and, uh, much, I, I will say, personally, a much better match this time around than the, uh, the first one, I thought. <laughs> I thought it was kind of uh, just about on the same level. Actually, I almost thought it was kind of... The same match, uh, practically. I, I didn't really feel very differently about it, I guess. A uh, very good match, uh, absolutely. Um, but uh, once again, Bobby Gunn's taking uh, a pretty decisive loss, which is, uh, again, something I wasn't really looking to see here. Uh, and I guess uh, the idea is it's in service of a larger thing, as we learn later in the show. They're going to have a third match together. But it's not a rubber match or anything, because Bobby Guns has really just been very decisively defeated twice. So, uh, very good match, but yeah, I'm, I'm a little questioning uh, of the uh, strategy here, considering just how incredibly hot Bobby Guns has been uh, in the past year. Yeah, I don't quite get it all myself. I mean, I, I understand it's definitely a bigger picture thing. Um, I guess they also want to sell uh, Irie as being a big deal, so Bobby Guns losing to him twice, especially by devastating Lariat, um, isn't necessarily the worst loss uh, Bobby Guns can take. So mm. I, I definitely get that, but it, it's still, you know, I'm, I'm a big Bobby Guns guy, so anytime he loses, is just never, you know, never going to be a great time just because, you know, he lost. You know, we don't want to see that. We want to see Bobby Guns win. Um, as far as this match goes, I, I felt it just some of the small things that they did in the first match, like I was still, you know, a fan of them trading German suplexes and sort of standing up from them in that first match, but that was still a bit on the excessive side. They didn't really do that here in this match. I thought they did a little bit more offense on the floor. Bobby Guns looked a, a little bit better overall, I thought, in this match. Just just some more small, minor improvements, I think, to this match that uh, really, I thought, added up to a much more enjoyable experience overall. But... Shigehiro Irie does uh, pick up the victory here, and it's going to send uh, Bobby Guns on a little bit of a spiral. We end up seeing him uh, backstage uh, with his brother. <laughs> and this is uh, weird to me, because we saw, I think, no less than three segments of Bobby Guns backstage with his brother, 
kind of saying the same thing every time. He's like, oh, I can't believe I lost. I shouldn't be losing. I really shouldn't be losing. Oh, I really, really shouldn't be losing. What should I do, brother? Oh, help me, brother. You know, so I don't know. It was a little strange. I thought got a little repetitive. Uh, and I also, you know, I don't, I don't mind his brother being brought in, but uh, one of the best things about Bobby Guns, I think, has been, like, his edge. Um, and this this was not, like, edgy stuff to me. Like, I, it wasn't bad necessarily, but I really don't want to lose kind of the core of what made Bobby Guns so popular, which is that he was kind of an asshole who didn't really care about anybody. You know, he cares about his brother a little, but uh, I don't know. I don't know if he has to sit around and being like, kind of feeling sorry for himself. So I don't know if that was my favorite thing here. Um, I, I feel like in, like I, I did genuinely enjoy this. I didn't think it needed sure. to be three segments of right. uh, Bobby guns going, I don't know what to do, brother, help me out. Like if it had been the first segment where he was yelling backstage, uh, they were like out near the parking lot and Vinny's trying to talk to him. Vinny vortex, Vincent, the beast, uh, I guess he goes by a couple of different, uh, names or at least has in the past but uh vinny's trying to talk to him and he uh bobby guns is really just not having it he's too frustrated from his loss uh you know gets back into the building tells Vinny to fuck off and slams the door in his face and if they had gone immediately to the second or the third segment instead of then skipped over the second one entirely which basically results in the two of them going yeah okay you know i, I need to be refocused i need to get back on my game you know not everything went as well for me in 2018 as it could have, could have been champion, but I didn't. And Vinny just kind of goes, all right, you know, I'm going to help you. I'm going to help you focus. I'm going to get back to, you know, maybe getting you leading on the right path. Uh, maybe we need to take on Irie one more time so you can get over this hump. Maybe you can try to beat him and move on and get back to your winning ways. And then Irie comes in. He says, third match with you. Bobby Guns goes, Okay. And that's how they set up the third match. Um, and I felt like if they had just jumped to – just cut one of the segments, cut that middle segment. Just be like, okay, now they're back. They're talking to one another. They're, you know, they've made up for the little spat they had in the, back, in the uh, like, parking lot. Now they're going to try to come together and help each other. Um, Vinny's going to help Bobby focus on winning, and then they're going to set up the match. Like, that would have been fine, but just – it was one segment too many. The second segment didn't really do – a whole lot of anything that the third segment didn't it's just very uh mm. not exactly the greatest uh planning out for segments i thought um and in yeah. general i actually kind of i don't know I, I i dig the sort of humanization of bobby guns him going from this sort of no nonsense i'm all about me sort of jerk just horrid human being to sort of being you know now that he's gotten a little bit of the spotlight now that the fans are really behind him now that he's getting his name chanted everywhere he goes you know maybe he's starting to either soften or maybe reveal that he's always been a little bit more um of a good natured uh, somewhat good natured uh person he's still got a little bit of the jerk assery in him that uh but sometimes his uh, heart of gold surfaces to the top. Um, but I, I don't know. I just kind of dig that. I kind of dig him going from super heel to kind of has heelish tactics, but is basically a good guy as he goes from, you know, kind of hated person to beloved person in the eyes of the fans and the company as a whole. I, I just kind of dig that aspect. So I'm not exactly too uh, 
broken up. As long as he continues to break fingers, as long as he continues to wrestle really good, um, it, it, it'll be fine with me. Because at least, at least, at least from what I've seen, he hasn't really like quite, yeah, hasn't quite lost his edge in the ring. I don't think. Um, I mean, he, the third match. We'll definitely get into it when we talk about this third uh, Erie match. But he's still breaking fingers, still you know doing Bobby Guns things, and it's really working out for him. So for the most part, I've been a uh, sort of like I said, digging the humanization of Bobby Guns. I guess you know. I don't know. I feel like um, the best thing to do is kind of stick to the character that brought you to the dance. And I agree. You know, he's still very vicious in the ring. Uh, he's still doing uh, some cool stuff, but the reason he's getting chanted so much is people did like how much edge he had. You know, he was never particularly heroic, but now he's doing, you know, segments backstage and, oh, you know, I love my brother. I need the help of my brother. Oh, I'm going to shake the hand of this guy that beat me two times. I'm just like, I don't know, like blow some smoke in his face or sleep with his girlfriend or something, you know, like just some some scummy uh, Bobby Guns thing. This is why people were attracted to him, because he had, like, such a sharp edge to him, and uh, I don't know, it just uh, seems like maybe he's getting a little too far off that track. But uh, Well, when he eventually wins the WXW Unified World Wrestling Championship, <laughs> as he should, maybe those uh, things will come back to the forefront as he has to do what he can to retain the title. At least, that is my hope. Yeah, maybe so. I don't know. I feel like... Um... You know, if he's not careful, if he, if he pursues it too far the other way, he might not win that title at all. Because, uh, you know, that was the thing that stood out to him. The, the That was the thing about him that stood out the most. You know, no doubt that he's a great wrestler. But I think uh, embodying this character in a way that so few people have been able to, that's what made him stand out to me first and foremost. So, uh, I don't know. Well, I'm with you. I love Bobby Guns. I think he should be champion, but uh, I don't know if people are going to love him as much as they have if he becomes kind of a different kind of character, you know, and that's that's always been the trouble with heels that get popular. How do you turn them face and yet keep the thing that made them popular in the first place? So it's that's a tough true. thing to do. We'll just see what happens. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, a few more backstage things. Uh, we do Alan Payne and Kellyanne. Being weird together backstage. I really enjoy this duo. I gotta say, I wanna see more of them. Speaking of weird, Chris Wolf is also there. She says she boned Alan Payne's mom somehow with like a big thrusting motion. Alan Payne is very scandalized by this. Drops his sandwich that he was eating. It's amazing. <laughs> oh man, I love little weird character stuff like that. It's great. And uh, Alan also... Payne is definitely a weird little character. And, uh, <laughs> so is Chris Wolf. So this was a uh, just just a really enjoyable, fun, weird, goofy segment. Really, Absolutely. just really enjoyable. Yeah, we also see Walter uh, inviting Veit Mueller to tag with him against JFK at Back to the Roots. It's interesting. I feel like it's more Ben. Uh, Timothy Thatcher kind of pushing for Veit Mueller to be more involved, so maybe uh, Walter now getting on board as well. So that's uh, a little development there. Yeah, I think especially after sort of everybody came together ring comp wise for the 18th anniversary show, and Veit Mueller happened to be there, that uh, maybe some of Timmy's uh, uh, education and mentorship of Veit Mueller's kind of rubbed off on a, a Walter's kind of the general sense. I got so they're gonna have a match against JFK. Gives uh, Walter something to do at Back to the Roots. Yeah, just 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 uh, just good stuff. I really like uh, Ring Camp, and I kind of like them potentially expanding themselves outward a little bit. Maybe bringing in a new younger member. Invite me over. We'll have to see how that storyline plays out. Absolutely. So back to the matches. 
We do have Kellyanne taking on Chris Wolf coming out of their little uh, interaction earlier. I gotta say, I'm not quite as high on Chris Wolf maybe as I once was, um, but I still I like her quite a bit. Um, they do some fun stuff with uh, Chris Wolf has a little wolf puppet, which kind of scares Alan Payne off before the match. Kellyanne, not so impressed, takes it, stomps on it. Um, it's basically uh, Alan Payne trying to get involved, trying to cause trouble here. Not really succeeding very well, getting bit at one point, um, but does help insofar as Kellyanne is able to get the win here. And uh, I gotta say, a weirdly touching thing to me after the match is Alan Payne, after the match, like as soon as it's done, jumps in the ring and like wraps up Kellyanne in a big like celebratory hug. And I gotta say, you know, they may be weird and probably evil, but uh, I, I love couples in wrestling who, who express kind of a genuine sense of happiness for each other so uh, i i gotta give him credit for that at least yeah this match i had a lot of fun with this one i i, I tend to love my uh goofy silly over-the-top characters and this was a uh, a smorgasbord of that uh between chris wolf and her uh her wolf puppet yelling at a um alan payne who you could just hear the entire way through this match just yelling from ringside about literally everything he could um, he was a lot of fun. And I really like seeing Kellyanne again and really uh, being assured that the match with uh, Tony Storm, that where she, uh, I thought, particularly stood out, was not like a one-time um, affair of her being, you know, interesting to watch because I thought she was a lot of fun here as well. Um, I don't know. I still, I still really like Chris Wolf. This match, you know, you know, grew her on me even more. I just, I enjoyed. Her silliness, I enjoyed her offense, uh, she was doing a lot of fun stuff in this match. Overall, just a fantastic time for me. Maybe not necessarily because it was a uh, technical showcase or a hard-hitting bout, but just, just a fun wrestling match overall. Lots of fun character stuff. In the end, Kellyanne picks up the victory, as I think she should have, because Kellyanne is just a killer, I think. So, good match, good stuff all around from these three. Mm-hmm. Indeed, indeed. Move right along. Another backstage segment, one of my favorites, I gotta say. We see Absolute Andy uh, listening to something on headphones. He's just uh, standing there saying, I am the champion. David Starr comes up to bother him and uh, discovers that what he's listening to is also just a recording of him saying, I am the champion, which. Apparently in multiple languages, by the way, (laughs) what he said. So apparently Absolute Andy speaks more than just uh, English and German, so. Interesting. That was not something I knew about him. Uh, once least, again, just... uh, or at least learn that phrase in multiple languages. <laughs> True. Yeah. Learning lots of stuff here on uh, WXW's Road Two shows. Lots of tidbits dropped. Wonderful. Yep. And he accuses Davis Sar of uh, weaseling out of their 18th anniversary match of not really being injured. Um, but Davis Sar reveals, regardless of all that, he will be wrestling the champion in London, be it Andy or Ilya. And Andy is very upset about this. Poor Andy. Life's so hard. Because he's upset about everything. Everything (laughs) just upsets poor Andy. Everything but himself. Indeed. Indeed. So. Oh, (laughs) Oh, boy. Speaking of Andy, we also, before the main event, see uh, Andy bothering Marius Al Andy backstage, uh, kind of uh, messing with him, being a little bit immature. Marius Al Andy not impressed at all. Still not a fan of Absolute Andy, despite the fact that they are tagging in the main event. Uh, and, and I will pitches, say, apparently, yes. uh, just just a just a quick note. Apparently, the the thing Andy was doing, some sort of weird like A4 paper thing, where he like rubbed the paper on a. Uh, 
Alani's head was apparently some sort of callback to A4, specifically something <laughs> Marius Alani would do to Absolute Andy. And Andy was like, yeah, you, you always just love that. It was great. It's A4, back together again. And Alani's just like, no. It was funny because I did it to you. It's not funny when you do it, and I don't want to be here right now, so don't touch me or talk to me. <laughs> Yeah, I, I thought it would be a little too obscure, but there is a uh, particular size of paper called A4. Um, so oh, yes, that is yeah. that is the core of that joke. Uh, if anyone Let's wanted see. to know, so that is nice though. I didn't know that uh, they used to do that the other way around. Uh, Andy pitches that uh, maybe there's still something between them since Marius has uh, kind of been helping it out recently. Marius says it's really just coincidence. He only uh, wants to hurt the people fighting Andy. People like Lucky Kid. Um, and he takes credit for Marisol Annie getting to a new level after uh, he turned on him for winning the shotgun title. Marius says, Annie, you're really only interested in yourself, and you're only going to be champion until that cage match with Ilya Dragunov. Um, and uh, one of my favorite things in this segment, see Marius uh, putting up the finger for Rise as the segment ends, and Andy says, yeah, I know where you can put that finger, buddy. <laughs> Which is just great. Um, I yeah, love these they, two together. They still have such great chemistry together. Like, yeah, this is just really two very similar but different heels just interacting with one another, all the history they have with one another really just coming to the forefront. It's just kind of really cool to see A4 going from... Um, you know, being the face tag team we had some experience with back when they were doing their thing together to now being two separate um, heel dudes with their own paths that they've walked up to this point so far. It was just really, this was just a really cool segment to see how they've grown and how far they've come since those days. And seeing them back together was just, just kind of neat the way they uh, ended up going about that. So, yeah, good stuff here. And it led to... Um, the main event of the show, the uh, reunited, at least against part of their wills, A4, Marius Alani, and Absolute Andy, taking on the team of Unbezig Star, David Starr, and Ilya Dragunov, with a very uh, extended segment where everybody took double suplexes, and it was fantastic. Um, <laughs> Andy like, goes into the ring, and he's trying to get a... Alani to come join him so they can uh, put in, like, an attack on the two of them, uh, their opposing team, like, at the same time. But then Andy runs in, and that and Alani does not, and um, it eventually leads to a combination that ends in a double suplex. Uh, Andy rolls back outside, and basically we do it all over again. He yells at Al Alani. Alani's like, all right, I got your back this time. You know, fine. Um, you got to do it again. And once again, Alani does not run in. It's just absolute Andy who proceeds to take... The exact same combination, ending in a double suplex. Now, he's really upset about this. Um, eventually, Alani does get in the ring, and then he himself ends up taking a the same combination followed by a double suplex <laughs> before rolling to the outside. And he's just like, oh, look at that. My protege. Did that hurt? I'm so sorry. And then eventually we do get essentially the match proper, which was, I thought, a spectacularly fun bout. Mm, um, very, very Everybody good. doing a, a lot of heavy hitting and a, hot, a lot of heavy lifting in this match. Um, at one point, um, one of the just wickedest things I've ever seen, uh, A4 goes to set up the sort of, uh, I always considered it the uh, uh, Charlie Haas, Shelton Benjamin move. They sort of like rope hung. <laughs> Like leapfrog over the body. Sure, the, sure. Uh, the old Beverly Brothers spot. Yeah, uh, for sure. So uh, as he's going to do that, um, you see uh, 
uh, Ilya, he's been sitting on like the second rope this whole time, uh, being like stopped after a shot. So as Alani goes to leap over the shoulders of Absolute Andy to come crashing down on David Starr, off the second rope, leaves Ilya Dragunov to meet him in the middle of the air with a torpedo Moscow. And it was just fucking incredible. It was amazing. Yeah, I, wonderful spot. Just great work. Great work. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's a great match. Uh, I kind of knew it would be just looking at who was involved for really the best talents in the promotion and probably uh, the world, all things considered. Um, uh, yeah, uh, the only criticism I had a little bit, so I thought maybe just a little bit overlong for what was essentially just kind of like a tag match to build to some other matches. Like, this wasn't really the finale of anything, and everyone sort of knew it. Uh, and still, though, it was extremely hot, extremely good, and uh, I had a great time with it. Uh, just maybe a little overlong, and I, I would think 30-plus minutes. It was a, a very, very long tag match, but still a very, very good one as well. I had a great time with it. Just, just... It definitely ain't a long match, but I didn't really have that problem with it. I did think it was long by the end of it, but I was having a fun time all the way through. I thought everybody was just really putting on some excellent work. Uh, there was a bit of a story being told, at least early on, where David Starr could not get in the ring. It was actually levied a fine in the middle of the match because uh, <laughs> referee to CeeLo Young... Nice little touch that was. Yeah, you know, couldn't see that uh, Andy and Alani were doing some cheaty things, and it was just driving David Starr mad that the referee wasn't paying attention. He's, you know, constantly getting in the ring, constantly yelling at him, and just in the middle of the match, he gets levied, uh, like, a 25-pound fine or something for for his antics. It's like, I have literally never seen anybody get be given a fine just in the middle of a match. So that was, I thought, a cool little touch there. Uh, eventually, uh, David Starr does get in the ring, Things really start picking up the second half of the match, and it was a blast. I had a really good time with this match, and if you like any of the names involved in this one, and even if you don't, even if you don't know these names, I definitely recommend checking out this uh, David Starr and Ilya Dragunov versus Mario Salani and Absolute Andy tag match. Just an absolute fun time. Absolutely so. Uh, Ilya puts away Alani with the Torpedo Moscow in the end. Um, and, uh, yeah, finishes off a really great tag match. Uh, really, uh, almost only praise for it. So, mm -hmm. uh, to finish off the show, to round it off, we, uh, have a segment, which I think we already kind of mentioned. I think it was put online, uh, prior to us kind of reviewing this show, but, uh, mm -hmm. Tarkin Aslan pumps up the new rise because they are all champions after 18th anniversary. Original rise comes in to, uh, confront them. Uh, Lucky Kid accuses Marius of never being injured and uh, trying to avoid losing the shotgun championship. Uh, Marius ends up putting all the titles on the line in the um, the coffee schlag, the kind of war games match that they're going to have at Back to the Roots. And I love that Tarkin Aslan looks at him like he's grown an extra head when he does this. <laughs> like, why on earth did you do that? Um, and this is also where Pete Bouncer agrees that they will put the Rise name on the line uh, in that same match. So, yeah, a lot of stuff coming out of that segment. Uh, yeah, setting up Back to the Roots really well. I, I really like this uh, Road 2 show. I thought it was executed very, very well. Mm-hmm. Well, there's then maybe an extra segment or two that was very unnecessary. Overall, I just had a really great time with this. A lot of fun matches, a lot of fun little segments here. Um, yeah, just, just I thought I did, did a really great job with the uh, Road 2 show, and that leads into... Back to the Roots, a show with 
you know, a lot of things going on on it, and I think uh, pretty much every match delivered in one way or another. So, Back to the Roots, a really good show, so let's dig into the meat and potatoes of it. Yeah, let's absolutely do it. Uh, we jump off with the third match of the uh, little trilogy that they've had. It is Bobby Guns taking on Shigehiro Irie one last time. Uh, this time, Bobby Guns is his brother at ringside with him. Uh, and you'd think that would help, but early in the match, Irie spears Bobby Guns through the ropes onto his brother and kind of, like, collapses them both at the same time, which I thought looked uh, quite brutal. Um I'd say overall, this pairing never completely did it for me. They they always had very good matches as opposed to really great ones, I thought. Uh, this was probably my favorite of the bunch, though. Uh, Bobby Guns definitely knew a lot of Irie's offense at this point and was able to counter it. Like, at one point, Irie usually does, like, a, a pounce sort of thing, and Bobby Guns just kind of just leapt up and glommed onto him with a guillotine instead of getting hit by it, which I thought was also very cool. Mm-hmm. Um they kind of set it up like it's going to have the same ending. Uh, Irie hits that beast bomber, which is just really a ludicrous lariat. I'm actually a little afraid every time he hits it because he hits it so freaking hard. Uh, this time, Bobby Guns kicks out, which is cool. Um, personally, to me, the Bobby Guns character, I maybe would have rather seen him counter it or like avoid it, be maybe more strategic instead of just eat the big move and then this time like you have the strength to kick out. But still... Uh, it was all good. Bobby Guns finally gets put over, gets the tap out on uh, Irie, which uh, was definitely the right outcome here. Indeed. Uh, this is the match where I mentioned where he was, once again, sort of got sort of back on his uh, finger-breaking antics, was really focusing on the uh, right arm, both arms, really, of Irie trying to take away the Beast Bomber. Um, he started off working the legs, changed up to his uh, usual habits of working the arms, thought did a really good job. On that front, uh, Irie, I thought, was game in this match as well, but this was really, as it usually is in his matches, the uh, the Bobby Guns show, and in this one in particular, I thought he really uh, ramped it up compared to the previous two matches as best he could, and you're right, I don't really think they ever clicked as well as they could have, you know, some wrestlers just don't have that kind of chemistry with one another, this might be one of those pairings, but uh, in the end, I really enjoyed this match, and I especially, of course, Enjoyed Bobby Guns picking up the win here. Um, after he wins, uh, he ends up shaking the hand of Irie one more time. This time from the left side, um, since Irie's uh, entire right arm was practically dislocated uh, throughout the entire match. So Bobby Guns picks up a much-needed victory, um, defeats Irie finally, gets that uh, that victory that he's been looking for. So yeah, I thought a good hot start to this show, uh, Bobby Guns, uh, still very much over. Everybody loves Bobby Guns, so that was a good sign as well. Him winning here, good start. Absolutely so. Uh, one thing I want to say, I can't remember if this match or the other one, but in one of these matches, Irie uh, breaks a hold by uh, getting to the ropes with his teeth. Like he Yes, I think this was teeth. the last match. I think it was the third I match. I think so as well. And i got to say, I get the idea of that because it's kind of a cool visual, but what a terrible idea when you think about it. Like, every time someone does it, all I can think of is, like, if they get jerked back, they're going to leave a couple of those teeth in the rope, and it gives me the heebie-jeebies. So I, I don't know how I feel about that. Like, you could just put your head 
on the rope and you'll still get the break. So uh, I don't know. That's uh, just a random thought of mine. That is true, but that that thought didn't even occur to me. Now that you're saying, I'm like, oh boy, that's yeah, good true. Good luck watching but... it again. Yeah. <laughs> At the time, I was just like, I kind of love the 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 biting spot. No, it I is cool. The... There's something just kind of cool about it, even if it sort of makes no sense. So yeah, I get it. I get it. Oh, good. Um, you fought with Yarn uh, Simmons taking on Avalanche. Um. And I gotta say, I don't know, this feud is maybe not doing a lot for me, because uh, it felt like we were talking about, like, they had kind of two matches to set this up before to kind of make make something out of it. Um, and then here, it seems like another match, maybe just to set up another match, because it's just a little bit of a fight, and then they, they both get counted out. Um, and I like the fact that Yearn seemed just kind of happy to take the count out, like, he probably could have made it back to the ring, but he, he didn't want to he didn't want to keep having to fight Avalanche, potentially, so... Uh, double count out, he kind of talks some shit after the match, tries to beat up Avalanche, but again, just kind of gets beaten up himself, uh, Avalanche says, it's not over now, but I guess it'll be over by March, so he can do 16 carats, um, and then they sort of do like a pull-apart brawl, but I don't know, I don't know if I was really buying it that much, I, I definitely think they can have a great match between them, but I don't know, these segments have kind of consistently been the weaker parts of these shows, I thought, so I, I was not into this one as much, uh, see, I, I ended up enjoying this, but I definitely see your point because it feels like they've just constantly been setting up for something else down the line as opposed to having a right. match for the here and now. You know, like, all right, let's try to settle this. It's constantly been like, all right, now we're going to do this thing and it's going to lead into a future match, which will then lead into a future match, which will then lead into our sort of final future match is really what this uh, felt like. And I, I don't know if that's a problem with not really having – um, weekly television or anything in which you can sort of do this with where when it sort of happens you're just like okay that's how it goes because they've been uh, they've been feuding since before the end of last year you know so now we're getting on several months of them going back and forth with uh, constantly building to a another match and then another match and then another match so it's it's not fantastic but I do I really feel like they do have the potential to get there and have just a good, great, you know, brawl between the two of them. Because I yeah. like Aaron Simmons, I like Avalanche. Um, it's not like the matches have necessarily been bad. I just don't think they've necessarily been booked in a way that allows them to really uh, sort of express themselves properly in the ring and have a match of that caliber. So right, I think right. once they finally get there, it'll be great. And apparently uh, I've heard that they will indeed be having – um, a no count out match, or at least they're set up for a no count out match between the two of them, uh, after this one being ending in a double count out. So that is on the books apparently for some point in the future. And when it happens, here's hoping it doesn't end in a disqualification to set up yet another match. Uh, you know, Alexander so. James and Julian Nero both come back, and then they have to set up another match between <laughs> all of them, and it's just going to be like I, I, I typically appreciate WXW's booking. Um, and they do a lot of things super well, and they can get away with a lot of things because of how strong their characters and their booking usually are. This has not quite been the case, uh, but I'm still very confident that once Avalanche and Yarn Simmons finally get that opportunity to wrestle one another sort of straight on, whether that's a hardcore match or just a singles match that actually you know ends up turning into something, um, I'm positive and confident they will turn in just a barn burner of a match, but... Haven't yep, quite gotten there definitely yet. Definitely has the potential. Mm. 
Alright, yeah, we move on to there. Uh, free tag team match. It is Walter and Vite Mueller, as promised, taking on JFK, Francis Kassman, and Jay Skillet. Uh, Vite wearing a ring comp shirt here, though uh, not officially in the group yet. Uh, I'll say again, I love JFK, especially Francis Kassman, who I just think has a world of potential. Um, and uh, Walter is, yeah, just he's as magnificent a murderer as he ever was at times, seemingly just wrestling this match by himself. And I got to say, uh, you know, as much as I like Avalanche, it's a lot easier to buy, I think, coming out of Walter. Uh, Avalanche is kind of like a relatively big guy. Like, he's, he's big compared to some people. He's like a solid guy. Walter is enormous to everyone, and not just in size, in aura, in the things he does physically. So seeing him clearing house on two guys is, uh, you know, you won't blink twice about it. You're, you're more like, wow, they need some more guys to, like, take this guy down. Like, you, you can believe it, I think when it's Walter, uh, a little bit more. Um, so, yeah, very good stuff. This is probably actually one of my favorite matches that we watched. Uh, I thought it told a, a great story of, uh, of JFK kind of trying to do everything in their power to get one over on Walter, to maybe kind of target Vite Mueller a little more, who didn't quite uh, have the, the chemistry with Walter that uh, that Thatcher might have had or someone else in ring comp might have had. Um which plays in perfectly to the ending, which I loved. I loved the finish. Uh, you have Walter and Weitmuller both doing Boston Crabs, but Weitmuller tries to transition into a different submission, as Walter sometimes does, tries to change into a figure four, instead gets small package for the loss, and uh, Walter was very pissed about this after the match, was berating Veit, was uh, kind of holding up the ring comp, scarf again in a really uh, angry way so yeah i uh, i really thought the storytelling of this was top notch i thought everyone involved did a great job very happy with this one i i, I want to show some uh special appreciation to jay skillet because francis caspin <laughs> obviously the man like I, I really do love him and like a uh, miss fan i think he's got a world of potential but uh jay skillet's typically the guy who just gets beat the hell up in these matches like he just just gets decimated just constantly and it's he's just so he's so good at that he's the swarmy guy you want to see get punched in the face and sure enough he gets punched in the face he gets chopped in the chest he gets dropped on his head he gets locked in submission holds and he just does a fantastic job at just taking all those every time so jfk a great tag team francis casman so good jay skillet just a wonderful treat to watch in the ring as well Love those guys. Um, and yeah, Walter just, it was just something, there's just something about Walter. I don't know, man. Just, just, you see him in the ring, like the fans were losing their mind that he had showed up, uh, to wrestle this tag team match. Um, every time he chops somebody, it's just this huge reverberating slap that can be heard around the world. It's great. Um, and yeah, he just has this aura to him, this sort of menacing, intimidating, dangerous aura to him that really sets him apart from everybody else. And as you said, the storytelling in this match I thought was superb. And the finish was really just one of the best things. As you actually saw it, I think a few times in this match where Weitmuller would be doing like a hold and then try to transition into something else. And it really sort of stuck in, in the finish. He's got in a uh, single leg Boston crab, very Timothy Thatcher esque. I don't know if you noticed throughout the match, but that was not the only time he did it. And they were very, you know, sort of the 
you know, under the arm and just sort of straight lift up and, you know, try to shimmy essentially into it, which is very, you know, Timothy Thatcher uh, style single leg. And so you can definitely tell Vite Miller's been uh, watching his Timothy Thatcher tapes, really learning from him, you know, and all his mentorship and tutelage and all that, everything like that. So it it really felt like, you know, Veit Miller, you know, he really wants to be in Ring Kampf and was essentially trying to be Ring Kampf right at the finish, going from, as you said, a single leg into a potential figure four leg lock. Fortunately, did not work out for him, and he got rolled up for his troubles and beaten by the smarter, craftier uh, JFK duo. And in the end, Walter was furious about this. He was angry at uh, JFK for pulling it off, and he was angry at Fight Mueller for essentially letting it happen and you know putting a, uh, a loss in Walter's uh, record book. And the fans in particular were not appreciative of the way Walter was acting. Everybody was like, oh, you know, you guys wrestled a fine match. You, know, you tried really hard, but uh, they pulled one out on you. Um, people seem to really be, you know, into, you know, Vitamin Miller had his hand out looking for like a handshake or something like, yeah, you know, they beat us. They got us this time. We'll get them next time. You know, thank you for the opportunity to do this. And Walter was just not having it. Mm. And the fans were just not having Walter not having it. Um, <laughs> they, they, they booed. They were unappreciative. Uh, Walter storms to the back. Vite Mueller, very unhappy and, you know, follows him to the back eventually. So, yeah, just a really solid not just in-ring match, but just some great storytelling as well. Uh, very intrigued to see what's going to go down with a ring comp following this one. Yeah, definitely so. And I got to say, I kind of sympathize with Walter here. You know, Vite did screw up. And, you know, people screw up, I guess. You can't always condemn them every time. But the number one point of ring comp is, uh, like, the spirit to win, like the competitive spirit. Um and, uh, yeah, I don't know. If you have a guy in there making mistakes, uh, you're going to be a little mad. You know, I get it. So, I don't know. We'll see where it comes out. Uh, I'm definitely interested in what happens with all this because uh, Ring Cap, definitely one of my favorite stables. And uh, I think they're having issues in a very interesting and organic way. So, uh, we'll see what happens. Indeed. Once again, uh, you can't really quite overlook the fact that I still don't quite think the issues between uh, Walter and Timothy Thatcher have been solved just because Axel Dieter Jr. Uh, popped in for a visit back in December, yeah, so we'll have yeah. to see if that plays into a any role in the near future. Looking forward to seeing what comes uh, for Ringkopf in the future. Sure enough, sure enough. After this, uh, we get David Starr taking on Timothy Thatcher, speaking of Thatcher. Um, and I gotta say, uh, there was a lot of strong competition, but this might have been my favorite match, uh, really, of the year that I've seen so far. I think it might be my number one, just because... Um, the story of this was really, I thought, just on another level great. Like, the psychology of it was so consistent, was so enjoyable, because it was really all about David Starr's shoulder, and uh, there was really no sense of, like, oh, we're going to do this for a while, we're going to blow it off, or, you know, it's not really going to be important um, in the finish, uh, we're going to forget about it and, like, not really do anything with it. No, like, everything, uh, David Starr had a shoulder, and guess what? That fact remained... Uh, that the shoulder was injured through the whole match. Um, David Starr, every time he tried to use it, uh, it, it hurt him. It was a mistake. It gave Thatcher an opening. Every time Thatcher needed to get something in, he knew right where to go. I love this stuff. At one point, David Starr tries to do like his uh, cartwheel counter to the lariat, um, but instead of working out, 
he just hurts his arm again, and Thatcher is all over him in a split second. I I just love this. I love strategically wrestled matches, and uh, and this was awesome. In the end, uh, Thatcher is once again going after the arm, and David Starr knows it's coming this time, and he is able to reverse a pinfall attempt at the last second and get that victory, and uh, I, I thought it was really just fantastically done, fantastically told. Uh, I love this match a lot. So so two things from me here. First okay. off, um, I I don't know how you could watch, like, all of other all of David Starr's other, like, heel work and then watch, like, the face work he does in WXW, and, like, I, I, I don't know. He's just... He's good as a heel. He is on a whole nother level in WXW as just like the underdog face that you root for. He is injured here, but he is trying his heart out. This is not, you know, he does not come across as like arrogantly continuing to fight. He doesn't come across as like, you know, he just there's just something organic about the role that he plays in WXW. And in this match, I think, was one of, if not the absolute best example of the kind of work that he does. He's got an injured shoulder, and, you know, that really sucks for him, but he's got this match with Timothy Thatcher. Um, Like, you even see him before the match. He's trying to do his typical pose, and he can't lift up his arm all the way. And so earlier, you know, before Timothy Thatcher makes his way to the ring, he's trying to, like, stretch it out and make sure he can still go... Uh, before the match even begins. Um, and just, yeah, just a lot of just smart spots. Like the cartwheel spot was, I think, what really did it for me. Like he goes to do this dive, and you think it's kind of smart because, you know, oh, you know, he's going to use his legs instead of doing his arm. But he, he has to, you know, plant on his arm to do the cartwheel, and that's what ends up costing him. So something that could have been, you know, a smart move ended up proving not to be for David Starr. Um, yeah, it was just he was just trying his heart out, and it just it wasn't always working. He could you know try to throw lariats, and every time he would, he'd wince in pain. But he didn't really have any other options. This is what he had to work with, and yeah, I just thought in general this was a masterclass of a match. However, I almost feel like they had another gear they could have gone with in this match. This match was good. This match was great, even. But I I feel like they had a potential genuine all-timer still in there. I don't know if it was uh, time or what it was, but they were, I thought, going on a tremendous pace and could have put on, like, not just a great performance, but just, like, once again, an all-time instant classic performance. Didn't quite get there with me, but absolute, I think, must-watch viewing from Timothy Thatcher and uh, David Starr in this match, especially on stars in Thatcher does a good job as well. Just sort of being the shark smell and the blood in the water and just circling Thatcher ready to uh, circling star ready to try to take him out. And unfortunately much as he tries, he gets close, but David star still ends up picking up the victory. A just great, great, genuine, just wonderful match. You gotta go watch it. And even then, even with all the phrases that we've heaped on, I still think they could have done even better. I don't know. This was this was a good one. This was a great one, mm. and it still could have been even more than that. I thought. 
Yeah, and I think you may be right because uh, as much as I like this match, you know, I don't think it'll be. It's not going to hold that number one spot. I think uh, all the way down the line, you know, it'll be a great match regardless. But yeah, maybe could have done more. But in a way, I'm almost glad they did it because uh, it, it irks me sometimes when you have a match it's so well built around a certain focal point. In this case, the injured shoulder, and then. It goes on so long that like that it ceases to matter. You're like, well, okay, obviously his shoulder wasn't in trouble 20 minutes ago because you know they're still going. You know they've drawn it out so much. So in a sure. way, I'm glad they ended it when they did. But I also agree. I think they could maybe do even better. So I- I'd love to see a rematch of this. Uh, mm-hmm. I think it's really phenomenal. Indeed. Okay. All right. We got a couple matches left on here. Uh, first one up, we got Melanie Gray taking on Tony Storm in that loser leaves town match. Also for the WXW Women's Championship, uh, as WXW often does, they show a great video package before the match, talking about the history of Tony and Melanie. Melanie thinks she built the women's division herself. Tony thinks they did it together. Uh, Tony was champion for a long time, but vacated it due to injury. Uh, she won it back in a super short match where she kind of took Melanie by surprise. Uh, now they hate each other so much that the loser will have to leave town, which I guess doesn't actually mean WXW necessarily, but the actual town, which is Oberhausen, uh, which I believe is their main town, so it may equate to the same thing. At um, least close to it. Uh, yes. Once again, this was the same stipulation, but in Hamburg <laughs> between uh, Bobby Guns and DeMac a few years back. DeMac was not allowed to... Uh, wrestle in his own town of Hamburg. So I, I guess in WXW, yes, indeed, loser leaves town actually does very literally mean the loser leaves the town uh, on a permanent basis while working for the company. So that's just a cool tidbit. And as far as this match goes, um, I, not necessarily shockingly or surprisingly, but I had a good time with this match. Mm. But um, once again, the star is the person Tony Storm is facing in this match. Melanie Gray, I thought, was just putting in a tremendous amount of work. At one point, gets busted up in the nose, a bloody yeah, nose, very, throughout yeah. the uh, early and middle portions of this match. And I don't know, but that was just a killer visual consistently, just with the, the uh, bloody nose for Melanie Gray. That ruled. There was uh, some fighting on the... Uh, the chairs on the outside, I think a few chairs got actually flattened by some of the uh, throws and dives they were doing onto them. Um, I don't know. This was a, I thought, a really amazing showcase for Melanie, who looked great, you know, especially after taking some offense to the outside and busting her nose up, but still just coming full force, you know, like rubbing blood all over herself, yeah. trying to, like, you know, stay uh, straight. Um, I thought she did a wonderful job here. Um, unfortunately for her, very unfortunately, um, I thought, uh, especially the end was kind of, I don't know, it came quick, I thought. Mm, Not that the mm. match itself ended quickly, because it was just a fairly, uh, I thought a fairly, you know, solidly linked match. But, uh, it just kind of, you know, after Melanie hit a whole bunch of offense on, uh, Killer Kelly and, or not Killer Kelly, uh, Tony Storm, uh, after hitting a whole bunch of offense on Tony Storm, uh, and, you know, not being able to put her away, Tony Storm gets up, eventually hits uh, one strong zero and uh, wins the match, which was not exactly an amazing finish. But uh, on the whole, I thought the match was really good. Once again, Melanie Gray really standing out in particular. Uh, fortunately, she does not win. She does not win the uh, WXW Women's Championship and is no longer allowed to compete in Oberhausen, which is where they do um, 
basically all of their major shows. So I don't know if Melanie's taking a break. I don't know if Melanie got a WWE deal. I have no idea what's going on there, but uh, very uh, unfortunate news. Melanie Gray no longer performing in Oberhausen for WXW. Yeah, I mean, I thought it was a very solid match, particularly uh, like you're talking about, the stuff outside the ring, busting through the the chairs, which I thought was quite dramatic. Um, But yeah, the ending, very abrupt, uh, and really, I don't know if it, you know, I can't say it didn't feel hard fought, but it sort of uh, left me deflated, and not just because it was really not I was expecting or hoping for out of the finish. Um, Mm -hmm. Billy Gray, I think, is really... I don't know if you can call her an essential talent, um, because, like, the show can go on without her, but it, it shouldn't, you know, unless, uh, yes. uh, you know, it just seems ludicrous to block Melanie Gray, of all people, I'd say, uh, their, their single most talented woman, honestly, I would say, uh, at least in my opinion, out of the picture, so unless, you know, she wants to retire or I, God knows, maybe she will go to WWE. I mean, she's certainly talented enough, but uh, yeah, I don't know. Um, I hope that it doesn't stick. You know, uh, I, I like when uh, stipulations are enforced, but I'd like them to find a way to get around this one. Um, mm-hmm. The crowd uh, boos her, taunts her at the end. She looks distraught. Interestingly, Killer, Killer Kelly shows up to show her respect. So uh, I don't know what might come of that, but uh it was it was very weird. Killer Kelly comes out, and she had some sort of piece of paper. I don't know if that was supposed to be right. a note. I don't know if that was supposed to be money. I don't know if that was supposed to be like a, a train ticket out of Oberhausen. That was actually <laughs> kind of my first thought. It was a pass to the pool, like that one match we saw a few years ago, of course. Oh, yes, yeah, I remember. <laughs> but uh, instead of uh, – because it looks like she's kind of coming out there. She's going to leave this for her and goes to leave – but Melanie actually grabs her hand and like you know, holds her forehead against against Killer Kelly, and Killer Kelly actually seems kind of like sad about this, like actually like upset. The two of them, you know, fairly well known rivals over the past few months and years. Um, so you know, Killer Kelly, I don't know if she was coming out to show respect, but Melanie Gray very touched and very like just sort of in need of that sort of comfort for somebody and that that really i think changed the crowd because the crowd went from booing melanie gray to being like oh oh this might suck this might not be great uh, <laughs> melanie leaves you know very unhappily followed by killer kelly um yeah just just really really good match really good showing from uh melanie gray but just not a great result all the way around so uh, hopefully wxw can um well hopefully melanie gray is like all right, maybe she's taking some time for herself, maybe getting some surgery to repair an injury we don't know about. I don't know. Hopefully everything's all right with her. And especially if so, hopefully WXW can find a way around this because, going to be honest, uh, if, Kill- if uh, Melanie Gray is not on especially a lot of WXW's major shows, I uh, genuinely think they're going to suffer a little bit from that. So, yeah, yeah. I agree. I got to do something with it. Um, so, yeah, we'll see what happens with that. I agree. The paper thing was weird. I almost forgot about that. So I'll just see what comes of that. Um, but, yeah, we move into our double main event, the Kaffeschlag. Uh, basically, uh, Steel Cage, War Games, in, uh, in the event of this next match we're going to talk about. It is Rise versus Rise. It is uh, Marius Alani, Tarkin Aslan, and Damak taking on Lucky Kid, Ivan Kiev, and Pete Bouncer. Uh, they do a great video package 
of the whole history of Rise, including all the way to the beginning, all the stuff with John Klinger, um, really making the feud, the whole storyline, look pretty awesome start to finish. And uh, I think they really should be happy about everything they've managed to do with this group, with this storyline. Um, very, very compelling stuff that's really been going for, I think, a year and a half at least, maybe more. Um, and really uh, kind of had something interesting going on the whole time. Um, match itself, I liked overall, but not as much as I hoped to, and I think you can kind of put that down to one thing in particular. They made they violated the cardinal rule of war games by having the babyface come out and have the numbers advantage. Like in war games, you know, one guy comes out from one team, one from the other, and uh, really almost through all of history, it's been the heel that comes out first, they get the numbers advantage, and the face runs in, even things up, kind of saves the day, then the, the heel comes in, and they have the numbers advantage again, and so on and so forth, and it really doesn't work that well the other way. I get maybe once in a while you might want to switch it up, just because it's uh, a little on the nose if the heels win every time, but man, these matches just work a lot better, because what you have here is you have baby faces coming in, having the advantage, just kind of bullying around the outnumbered heels, and it's not really that exciting, and it's not really that engaging, um, and uh, it sort of killed some of the crowd interest, I thought. Now, there's still a lot of good stuff in it. Uh, I liked at the beginning, Lucky Kid and Tarkin Aslan were the first two in. They do some fun stuff. Tarkin reveals a shirt of them together, of their old tag team, and uses that to kind of play mind games with Lucky Kid. Um, you have Ivan Kiev coming out at, like, diving uh, off the top of the cage to get into the match. Uh, you have a lot of weapon stuff, a lot of cool stuff. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Something about this was a little bit off, and it turned what could have been a great match into just uh, a good match, I thought. I, I I think I share your sentiments on this. Now, I really enjoyed this. I really had a phenomenal time with it, but there was just something that just felt kind of tilted, kind of off about this match. And I think that's, I think that's what it was, mm. um, was the fact that the, uh, baby faces had the, uh, numbers advantage all the way through. I think that was something that they were, uh, I feel like they were just sort of giving that a shot, you know, trying to mix it up a little bit. Unfortunately, um, while what the baby faces ended up doing later in the match was very cathartic. Yes, and a lot of the yes. sort of individual stuff, you know, that they were doing throughout was cathartic. Unfortunately, because they consistently had the numbers advantage, it wasn't quite, I think, as cathartic and sort of like that, you know, positive release that you kind of want from those, you know, emotional moments, specifically because the baby faces were always two on one or three on two. And there wasn't really that um, additional build of, hey, the baby faces in peril up. Here comes the guy to even up the odds look at him, you know, dive off the top rope or anything like that. So, yeah, I think that was um, not necessarily, at least for me, not a huge misstep, but definitely a misstep regardless. Um, but still, I thought there was a lot of great stuff in this match. I loved uh, eventually um, Tarkin Aslan is basically, uh, r you know, running the point for the uh, new Rise group. And, like, you'd point to a side of the cage and then it would launch a guy into it, which was cool. Um yeah, Ivan Kiev looked great. He had that huge dive off the top of the thing. There were a bunch of double teams going on. Um, to me, the spot that really made this match, there were a, a few things. There was the – I don't remember what the actual 
um, like which came first. But there was one point where Lucky Kid actually blasts Tarkin Aslan in the head mm-hmm. with a chair, a direct callback to the last Kavish Schlaf match yep. Rise was in, where that exact thing happened accidentally, this time on purpose and truly like severing the bond between Tarkin Aslan and Lucky Kid. So that I thought was cool. Um, but at one point, the, the big thing that I really think rewoke up the crowd and really got them back into the match after kind of, you know, being into it, but not maybe so much, was you have both teams, you know, like each on one side of the cage. You know, they've, you know, taken a whole bunch of offense and they're all standing up and they're all just staring daggers at one another. Everybody yells like they run into the middle of the ring and just start hammering on one another in this great, like, visual and building moment. And the fans went from being like, all right, we're into this match to like, oh, yeah, we are into this match. I thought that was, in particular, a really great way to sort of get everybody back involved. Yeah. In the end, um, original rise, good rise, whatever you want to call them, eventually all apply the various versions of the uh, crossface onto um, uh, new rise or evil rise, whatever you want to call them. Interestingly enough, um, the thing I particularly liked about this starting-wise was Lucky Kid had beaten down on Tarkin Aslan, you know, goes to pick him up, and he looks at uh, Pete Bouncer, and he basically goes, you take this. You have this. Pete Bouncer walks over and locks in on Tarkin Aslan, the uh, crossface. Um, Ivan Kiev gets a crossface on uh, uh, Demac, and then to stop... Uh, Marius Alani from potentially interfering and breaking this up. Uh, Lucky Kid locks in his own crossface on him. Um, I thought that was just a cool sort of you know moment of bond and brothership for, between Lucky and uh, Pete Bouncer. Um, in the end, uh, it turns out that the rules are that um, whoever loses or actually physically taps out or submits in the match will be the person who loses their title. And unfortunately for Tarkin Aslan, all of his plans go up in smoke as he's the guy taps out to Pete Bouncer to allow original Rise or Good Rise to win and pick up the WXW Tag Team titles. This match, um, I really enjoyed it just from an emotional level. I think it could have been better. I think they could have planned it out just a smidgen better. It definitely uh, brought down the match, but at least for me, not by a whole lot, and they definitely earned everything back again at the end, which I thought was good. Um, so uh, Pete Bouncer uh, wins the title. He gets to select his partner. Originally, he looks at Lucky Kid to try to figure out, you know, what do you think I should do? Should I give you this title? And Lucky Kid tells him, no, no, no. That's for you. And Yvonne over there, you guys wanted this. I'm going for the Shotgun Championship. I'm going to take it off Marius Alani at one point. But that title... Those tag belts are for you guys. Um, so they all end up celebrating. They all walk out of the cage and what I thought was, you know, just a really nice uh, showcase for those dudes. Uh, they really earned uh, their storyline, you know, happy ending. They get to be Rise. They get to be the tag champions. It's all good. Uh, we are left with the uh, the three no longer Rise members. Um, all in the cage together, Tarkin Aslan's, you know, trying to get everybody back on the same page. Like, yeah, we lost, but, you know, uh, we'll figure out something to do from here. Marius Alani is having none of it. He's got his shotgun championship. Tarkin goes to touch him, and he's like, get your hands off me, and leaves. 
um, by himself, Tarkin Aslan. You know, he's like, all right, that guy, you know, screw him, right? Demac, you know, it can be you and me. We'll go back to those tag titles. Demac shoves his hand off and walks away on his own as well, leaving Tarkin Aslan, the guy who orchestrated all of this, who orchestrated the entire potential downfall of Rise, betrayed his brothers, tried to set up a new group essentially in his own image and everything, and now he is left with absolutely nothing. Good for you, Tarkin Aslan. Good for you. It's just overall great storytelling. Match itself could have been better, but uh, for what it ends up paying off, I thought it was uh, overall very good and very spectacular. Yeah, yeah, great stuff. It'll be interesting to see where uh, Tarkan, Marius, and uh, Demac end up out of this. Uh, absolutely. should be very, very interesting. Uh, only and one match on, left. Sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, just on the case of Marius Alani, we're about to talk about it, but uh, we might have some idea of what he's got in store for the future. Maybe, potentially. We'll see. Maybe just a little. We shall We shall see. Yeah. Uh, the match itself, of course, is the main event. Absolute Andy taking on Ilya Dragunov one last time uh, in the Kavishlag in the Steel Cage for the uh, WXW Championship. Uh, the first ever uh, time the WXW Unified World Wrestling Championship has been defended in the cage match. First time ever. So uh, Andy and uh, Ilya, uh, especially with the way their storyline has gone, once again showing a really good uh, video package beforehand, I think uh, – Definitely earned the ability to do that and then proceeded to, I think, pretty much deliver on that front. Uh, absolutely so. There's a ton of stuff to love in this match. Uh, Ilya leaps out the cage door to start things off. Andy taking too much time outside. Uh, you have Andy doing great selling, great character work all through this. You have Ilya uh, just generally being awesome. I love his kind of Terry Funk like selling where he's kind of swinging for the fences, even when he's unsteady on his feet, even when he doesn't even know where he's swinging almost. Um, so great commentary in this also. I loved, uh, make no mistake. Ilya will die on his sword. It was an awesome uh, bit of commentary. Also, Andy and Ilya kind of cracking chairs together. Andy holds his fingers. Ilya just keeps attacking. Commentary says, Andy is holding his fingers, but Ilya doesn't care about fingers. And I'm like, you know, that, that sounds a little silly, but you know, it's right. He doesn't even care that he's in pain right now. Oh, uh, I don't. I, I just, just quickly on the commentary. I don't sure. remember if it was this match or a previous one. Uh-huh. Uh, it might have actually been the uh, tag match. Um, oh, what was the? There was one phrase that he uh, he used. Ah, uh, goddamn! Now I don't remember it. It's slipping off the top of my head, but uh, I think it's Alan Hunahan. Hunahan. I think so. Um, who was their uh, primary English commentator for this show? Like the only guy in the booth. He's got some zingers. He's got some good, like, uh, uh, quality commentary uh, bits uh, that he drops pretty much uh, like every show. I think he's a really solid commentator. Uh, I wish I just could. Wish I could just remember the line from the tag match about uh, Walter and uh, God. I really wish because it was really good. Continue. Never mind. Ignore me. I'm just. I'm no, 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 no. I totally agree. Reference. I think the commentary is very good, and I think you have the name right there. Uh, it can be a little hard. To keep track, but um, yeah, so much good stuff in this. I thought uh, both Ilya and Andy really uh, busted out a lot of stuff. Andy doing a moonsault, uh, which missed, but was still very impressive. Um, Ilya trying to hit Torpedo Moscow several times and uh, hitting chairs in different ways. Really impressively several times. He doesn't uh, hold back from that at all. At one point, hits Torpedo Moscow through 
a chair, like, and he's totally up the chair, and he just literally goes right through it and hits him anyway, which is quite incredible. Uh, you have table spots where Ilya is just slamming Andy on this table, and the damn thing doesn't break, and it just looks uh, incredibly painful. Uh, and I want to say, I don't know if it was planned. I don't know if they like <laughs> you know, know intentionally were like, been. like I, I, I don't know because the way it played off with the crowd, I thought in particular was just super great. Like they had this table, they were trying to break it, and twice before on various moves it didn't break. And then you know he, Ilya finally hoists um, Absolute Andy up, and then finally drives him in one last time. And sure enough, on like the third or fourth attempt. It breaks cleanly, and he finally goes through it. Mm. And the audience, instead of like, you know, the, the table doesn't break, and they're kind of like, maybe they're laughing it off, or you know, just kind of, aha, there's a big botch there. The table didn't break. They just seem like more invested in finally seeing the table be broken. And then, sure enough, when it was, it was like this big exclamation, like, yeah, he finally did it. I don't know. There was something like cool about that where. Um, you know, if it had been planned out, like, super well done, and if it hadn't, super well done anyway. They knew how to, like, recover from that and ended up doing it just perfectly to the point where I really thought that whole sequence just incredibly added to the match. Great stuff. Absolutely agreed. Um, honestly, this match was just chock full of great stuff, uh, and there's really only one thing that I really want to um, criticize about it, and I think if not for this thing, I could easily be talking about this as my early match of the year contender. But there was one thing on it that I just couldn't really dig. And that was Nick Hine. Um, yes. The uh, kind of what, what he's an MMA guy. I think something like he that. is a uh, UFC fighter, a yeah. former uh, German police officer uh, who ended up uh, transitioning into uh, MMA and specifically the UFC is a UFC fighter. Um, and yeah, I don't know why WXW brought him him in i don't quite know what he's doing here and <laughs> I, I in general i will say i thought everything was fine with him he was doing all right i guess right up until the actual finish of this match and then it was like oh don't get it but oh okay yeah. even before that i was kind of annoyed because like in the early fight he's like taking a chair away from andy and he's, like, missing some pinfalls, and it's supposed to be, like, part of it, like, oh, he's inexperienced, but it it just, it didn't look that good. Like, it didn't look like, oh, he's inexperienced. It looked like, oh, I am supposed to not count this pinfall yet, and, you know, just sort of awkward, I thought, not really in the rhythm uh, of the match, just kind uh-huh. of in the way, um, yeah, but I agree. Up until the end, I think it was okay. Um, in the end, Looks like Ilya is going to escape the cage, which I guess is an option. I sort of missed that at some point, but uh, yes, the uh, the rules for I guess this specific one were uh, pinfall submission or cage escape, whichever you wanted to do to win the title. Right, right. Um, uh, Ilya is going to climb out, but Marius Alani of all people shows up. Um, it uh, tries to go back into the cage to attack Andy instead. He misses. He crashes hard. Marius passes a little black bag to Andy and gives him a fist bump which I thought was interesting. and I, I really have to see how this plays out. So I was digging the fact that they didn't really like each other. They weren't working together anymore, uh, except kind of by accident. This was clearly not by accident. This was clearly something planned out. So uh, I need uh-huh. to hear a little bit more about that. Um, but uh, essentially, after that, um, uh, 
uh, Ilya fires up, hits Torpedo Moscow anyway, uh, but Nick Hine doesn't count the fogs. He's trying to throw Marius Alani out of the arena, which I thought was actually good. It was a decent uh, way to kind of uh, get away with not counting the pinfall there. Uh, Ilya kicks out of an F5 when Andy tries to come back, and he put Ilya in the sharpshooter as Marius Alani breaks open the cage door with bolt cutters, uh, and he tries to get off, uh, to, to pull out of the submission and get out, but uh, he can't quite make it. He catches him, smacks him with a chair. He's still trapped in the ring. Nick Hine goes out, forces Marius Alani to finally leave. Ilya reveals the bag that was passed in, had thumbtacks, backdrops Andy onto it, um, and uh, it seems like Ilya's going to walk out and get the win. But then this match really takes a hit in my mind because Nick Hine screws Ilya Dragunov by slamming the cage door into his head. And all I can think is why, in God's name, did you let this match go on for probably well in advance of 30 minutes and let Absolute Andy go through literal hell uh, get a million thumbtacks in his back and all this other devastating stuff. Miss a moonsault that could have ended his career right. at age 27. You know, he's still young times. and spry, but still. All of this stuff. Why did you let all of this stuff happen if you were just going to betray Ilya anyway? Um, so Andy wins, and I, I don't really get it. I, I'm only left with questions kind not is like, in a good way. And it's not just like, you know... It would have been one thing if he had just, like, gotten pissed off at Ilya Dragunov and was just like, screw this, screw you, I'm done with this, Andy wins, who cares? No, it was very clearly, like, you know, with the way he was hugging on Andy afterwards, it was very clearly, I was screwed Ilya Dragunov. I allowed Absolute Andy to retain the title, right, and now my we're, like, good friend Andy, Like, yeah, they were really chumming up, and it was clearly something planned in advance, and I'm just sitting, I mean, like, yeah, so... I don't think there really can be an answer to why you would allow all of this to happen. Um, so I don't know. Maybe they will shock us. But yeah, Nick Hine, for some reason, betraying Ilya Dragunov is really not doing it for me. Um, especially because I just don't give a fig about Nick Hine in the first place. Because I don't mm-hmm. care about him. And it's not like anybody else. I don't really care about him. And he hasn't really done anything interesting so yeah, here, here's where we are. And it's not like anybody else cares about Nick Hine either. Not like. really, no. And they were so invested in Ilya and Andy. Like, they were just going absolutely bananas for this match. Uh, especially, you know, towards the end. And this, you know, it was just deflating and not not a good yes. finish. Uh, so and, a and wonderful I mean, they, match they, that just did not end well, I thought. Yes, it was very, uh, very disappointing finish to what was otherwise, as you said, on pace to be like an early match of the year contender and one that might have held up throughout the rest of the year because they were just balls to the wall, just absurd in this match. And it was just a fantastic, fun, brutal, just intense time between these two dudes. And, you know, Marius Alani shows up and you're kind of like, is A4 reforming? Did that tag match they have together like change Marius's heart? What's going on here? We've definitely got to, you know, figure this out. He's got bolt cutters. He's opening the door for Andy. You know, there's just a whole bunch of like really good, intriguing stuff happening. And then Nick Hines slams the door in Ilya's face and, you know, chums it up with Andy and you're just like, no. I don't, I don't buy that. I don't buy that. I don't like that. And not in a, ooh, I really want to see you get, you know, put through a table, as does eventually happen to Nick Hine when uh, Ilya Dragunov is pissed off enough to uh, reverse a power bomb or something and slam him through the, the table. But that's like, that's not what I wanted to see. 
I did I didn't want to see any Nick Hine at all. Period. It's not it's not something I needed. And yet he factors into the finish, not just as a impartial referee, but screws Ilya out and it just uh, as you said, deflates the whole match what was uh, really on pace to be just it was a barn burner, literally all the way up until the finish, and then it uh proceeded to not be anymore. So very unfortunate. Um, Andy wins, keeps the title, which is good for him. You know, I like Andy. I like this title reign. Definitely looking to see where that goes. Uh, his next opponent's going to be uh, David Starr in London. So that's you know that's cool. That's great. Um, yeah, and, that's uh, gonna be great. Yeah, that, that'll be good. But uh, as far as this ending goes, no. No, yeah, I'm not the end it. of Nick Hine, but I have no idea. No idea. <laughs> yeah, clearly they ran into a place where they felt like they had to blow off the feud and they didn't want to give the title back to Ilya just yet, uh, but they also didn't want him to take any kind of credible loss. So this was the solution, and yeah. We'll and and maybe they, better, like, miscalculated you know? the response to Hine because, like, he got I brought in and he got yeah. booed at a – 18th anniversary, nobody really liked having him around, so maybe they were trying to find a way to salvage the negative response that he got. Um, didn't I, I don't think it worked. I don't yeah, think it worked. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. It's, felt, it's sort of the mistake that I feel like wrestling always makes with MMA guys. Like, oh, well, people will definitely like to see him because he's so credible, you know, or so, you know, I don't know. Like, I don't, I don't even know what it is. I don't want to take the time to try to articulate it. I will say to his credit... Um, after the match, like you said, uh, not only gets put through a table by Ilya, but also sells really big for, like, his offense before that. So I guess you can't at least say he wasn't game to, like, try to get this stuff over. Uh, but no, I just don't think it really worked very well. Indeed. Indeed. Uh, but still, overall, really enjoyed both of these shows. Uh, I'm excited about London. I think the show's already happened. Don't think it's aired yet. Uh, we'll probably cover it in a few weeks when we kind of cycle back around to WXW. Uh, but yeah, I- I'm very excited. I think there's going to be some great stuff going on. We have 16 Carat coming up as well, and that that is going to be awesome as always. Mm-hmm. WXW uh, really proven their worth, and it was just cool to be able to sort of sit down and check out a couple of WXW shows from a beginning to end. Give us a better insight of what the company is doing. Check out a few talents that maybe we would have, uh, if not skipped over, at least, you know, come back to, but several weeks or months later. So it was just kind of cool to be able to sit through a whole WXW show and check out what they offered. And I have to say, all the way through, really, really good and fun stuff. Yep, absolutely so. Absolutely so. Uh, I was a big fan of all that we saw for the most part, and uh, yeah, I really can't wait for the next shows to come up. It's going to be very good. Mm-hmm. Anything else you want to talk about, my friend, before we uh, call it a day here? Uh, not quite. I do know that uh, Chikara is coming back around the bend, National Pro Wrestling Day. I think it's just yep. around the corner. Uh, they've got a few things uh, set up for that so far. I know they've got a Juan Francisco de Coronado versus Missile Assault Man match set up for that day. They've also got uh, a Officer Warren Barksdale versus Hallow Wicked match, which is interesting. And I think uh, <laughs> CCK is taking on Crumbles and Defarge, and they saw just today a four-corner tag match. You've got the Colony, you've got Los Ice Creams, you've got the Proteus Wheel, and the team known as the, the Bird and the Bee um, Solo Darling and uh, I guess Otherwear 
uh, tag team partner Willow Nightingale, making her, I think, Chikara debut, teaming with Solo Darling in this uh, four-corner tag match. So, yeah, National Pro Wrestling Day. Uh, Chikara's coming up just around the bin. That's going to be fun. Hopefully you will uh, join us as we check it out sometime in the future. Absolutely so. It's going to be great. Um, All right. I think that is everything from us. If you ever uh, want to shout us out, we're both on Twitter. I am at SpectralGent. He is at BigDefEnergy. That's B-I-G-D-E-F Energy. Give us a shout. Give us a follow. Check out the other great programs on LOP Radio. Got a lot of great ones, not the least of which. Got to shout it out. Myself and uh, co-founder of this show, Shane, a.k.a. Mystic. Coming back to the airways, doing a special show on AEW called uh, All About All Elite. Uh, everything coming down out of that promotion, that possible game changer that's still in the future. So I uh, hope you will check that out there. We'll probably talk a little bit about that promotion on this show as well as it comes closer to reality. I uh, hope you also check out lordsofpain.net, lopforums.com for a lot of great written material. Um, come join the conversation. We'd love to have you. That, I believe, is everything. So uh, join us next week. We'll be back with lots more great wrestling, which may be falling under your radar. Until then, we have been the Global Revolution. See ya.